we will continue to see a future of higher turnover in hotels. It's certain of that. So our underlying goal is how do we help hotels function better in a future that will have higher turnover. Welcome to the second season of The Modern Hotelier, the fastest growing hospitality podcast. Both hosts were named top 100 most powerful people in hospitality and voted fourth most popular podcast by the International Hospitality Institute. Each episode will get to know an industry expert and we'll discuss the latest trends in hospitality to help you, The Modern Hotelier. Welcome to The Modern Hotelier. I'm your host, David Malilli. I'm your co-host, Steve Karen, And I'm the producer, John Boomhofer. This episode is sponsored by Transition Path. Want to strengthen your great place to work rating for new employees? Want to overcome a challenge with engineers or key staff members moving during retirements, attrition, or internal moves? Transition Path offers solutions to capture expertise seamlessly, along with site-specific know-how. Transition Path tools create visual maps of crucial details and codify knowledge for ease of prioritization and transfer. Proactively prevent issues and ensure guest satisfaction, safety, and uninterrupted operations. Partner with Transition Path for seamless knowledge transfer. Transition Path, your solution for sustainable performance and excellence during periods of change. Steve, who do we have on the program today? Yeah, David, today we have um, Brian Monette. Brian is a tenured executive and is currently the CEO of Transition Path. Transition Path has been helping organizations capture and catalog their internal knowledge, preparing them for a time of transition or uncertainty. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Welcome. So, Brian, we're going to go through three areas. We're going to ask you some lightning round type questions, get to know you a little bit better, talk about your career, and then get into the industry. Sound good? Sounds terrific. All right. So what was the worst job you ever had? <laughs> uh, the worst job? Actually, I think it'd have to be I was a dishwasher. It was the first job and probably the worst one I've ever had. Uh, but I've actually had a pretty uh, interesting career. Lots of challenges over the years. And are you a morning or a night person? Uh, I'm a morning person. So if you had to delete all the apps on your phone except for three, what three apps would you keep? That's a good question. I try not to to hit my phone that early in the day. So I'd love to be able to replace my email with something else, but fitness apps uh, seem to be the ones, and there's a couple of podcasts I really enjoy listening to in the morning, just to sort of listen to what other people have to say about interesting things that are, are trending that perhaps I'm not aware of. All right, good. What's the emoji you use the most? Actually, I don't use any. I think I'm 58. I mean, I'm in the... Uh, I'm an age bracket. I'm learning about things. All right, so. no problem. Uh, what's your favorite song? <laughs> I got lots. I'm listening to a lot of Van Morrison lately because I haven't. Yeah. All right, cool. So, what's your favorite restaurant? Uh, it's Riviera. It's a, re- a restaurant in Ottawa, Canada. Actually, it's uh, I'm familiar with the chef, a friend of mine, and uh, it's a tough restaurant to get into. There's another one I really like. It's called Pearl Merced, which is another very very difficult one to get into. Food's phenomenal. So if you had your own talk show, who would your first guest be? And they can be alive or dead. Alive or dead. I would like, oh, this is amazing. I would like to interview, I'm trying to be creative here, but I don't know, you caught me. (laughs) Even some of the people, like the people that we work with, I think are just remarkable, but uh, because it doesn't have to be somebody famous. I'm more interested in interviewing people that have sort of figured things out kind of the hard way. 
All right. So if you had a time machine and you could go into the future or back to the past, which way are you going and what year are you going to? So my grandfather, I'll tell you, was 100 years old when he died. He was born in 1889. And uh, he would tell me stories that when he was a young boy, he would read about Billy the Kid. That's my grandfather. So just to give you a sense for how much has happened since he passed away, you know, two world wars, uh, aviation, electricity, the computer all happened during his tenure. But I'm absolutely forward thinker. So I'd kind of like to go into the 2040s. You know, they're close enough, but far enough away. That's where I'd be interested in going. Very cool. Well, that was great. Now we're going to learn about your background a little bit more, what makes you tick. So you grew up in Toronto, is that right? Yes, I did. Yeah, I I went. uh, grew up in Toronto, but worked a lot in the U.S. in my early careers. Uh, I I sort of grew up in the finance background. That's what I was most interested in. I think at the very beginning when I was in university, I only went into the finance part of life because I was trying to impress my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. But I figured that I figured if I picked the most difficult pathway that that I that would impress her. And in fact, in the early days, you know, working in finance was was a grind. So I vowed that I would eventually get out of finance. But I learned a lot of great skills in finance. So that's awesome, and it worked. You married her, so that's great. So how did growing up in Toronto shape you into who you are today? Well, I think Canada is very multinational for sure. I think that. Uh, you know, in downtown Toronto, there's a street called the Danforth. And as you drive east to west along the Danforth, you go through just about every single major international hub. And so I think that's one aspect. And even in my early career, I, I traveled uh, for a company called PPG globally. I went to all sorts of different countries, only to find that it was often expats that were Canadians. It was an American company working in those countries, I think, because there's a lot of tolerance, I think, back then for Canadians being familiar with working in multi multicultural areas. And so you've been in Toronto quite a few years. You went to school there. You went to Ryerson University, which is now Toronto Metropolitan University. So what have you seen change over the years in Toronto and any recommendations, local recommendations in Toronto for listeners? Yeah, Toronto is in a remarkable city, to be honest with you. It has a tough winter, no doubt about it. But through global warming, I think that's uh, we're seeing some uh, some changes. I would say Toronto, from a developmental standpoint, is probably about 10 or 15 years behind New York. We're really chasing New York. We always have been. We've been able to attract, you know, remarkable talent. And there's an, obviously there's just an incredible track record of musicians that are all, you know, from the area that I grew up. You know, Drake uh, grew up and went to school, the same uh, junior school that I went to the weekend. So there's Justin Bieber, a local Canadian. So I'm not musically inclined, unfortunately, not one bit. But I think it's, it's really that multicultural thing about Toronto that uh, seems to have set us apart. It's my favorite city for high tech, which is a big you know, hospitality trade show. It's been there twice, and it's, it's my favorite city that I've attended a high tech over you know, 20-something years. So. Well, it's interesting. You know, Jeffrey Hinton, the founder of artificial intelligence, uh, worked for a large part of his career at University of Toronto. Now we'll get to your career a little bit. So after you graduated, you know, what type of jobs did you, were your first jobs out of college? Yeah. So my very first job, I worked for Ken Thompson. Ken Thompson was a newspaper publisher and probably, probably at the time he was the richest Canadian. And my job in finance was to acquire newspapers. I was a, an acquisition specialist. I would travel throughout the United States in every small town in America, and I would propose buying newspapers 
from families that had developed newspapers over often centuries. And so our goal was really to create a, a multi global media company. And in fact, uh, Thompson purchased Thompson Reuters. That was the, the exit, uh, the natural transition from newspapers into data through Reuters, which is owned by Thompson Corporation. So you were a manager for Nestel Canada, Dell, Agility, Recovery Solutions, and then you joined uh, MDG Computers in 2005. How did all your experience help you with that role as president? Well, you know, I spent a lot of time in MA. So when I was at Nestle, I ran quite a number of large scale acquisitions as a, that was really my job. In fact, in Canada, if you, if you come to Canada and you have Nestle ice cream, that was the company that I led to create acquisitions of dairies and uh, a hostile takeover of a large dairy in Canada. And so I would say the most interesting part of working for Nestle was I had to build a company and develop the financial justification for the company and then hand it off to someone who had to run it with all of the guesses that I made to justify buying it in the first place. So sometimes at Nestle, I would get phone calls from the leadership team asking me what I was thinking about when I made some of these decisions, which was great. But you know what? When I left Nestle, which I was in the food industry and finance, I went to Dell Computer and I was at Dell during the good days. Uh, it's a remarkable company. And I worked both in finance and then I evolved into the head of marketing for Dell before I retired. I actually retired from Dell, a bit of a, a dot-com benefactor. Only then to work for another company, the MDG Computers and a couple of others that sort of pulled me out of retirement. I was in my 30s, so it was a little too early for me to retire. In 2012, you started Transition Path. Why did you start Transition Path? And tell us a little bit more about the company. So I started Transition Path because during that time, I was actually running a technology company. And our goal was to acquire Hewlett Packard's largest single customer. And uh, we were able to do that in less than a year. And at the time, I'll remember the government of Canada was the client, by the way. And I remember after winning that business and taking the number one position, I was walking, leaving the office one day and I looked down the hallway and I could see this pile of paper on the ground. And so I went, you know, good being a good president, I went and I picked it up and and it was a $15 million purchase order from the client, the customer that we won. And um, it was a remarkable achievement, to be honest, because we were a very small Canadian tech company, but we had a low cost structure. We really understood our costs, and so we could deliver real value. But what happened shortly after was Hewlett Packard came in and recruited all of my top talent away from me. And so what I learned very shortly that was that what I thought my people were doing wasn't actually what they were doing at all. And so I developed these methods using a new technology to understand what people do in their job and to do it in a manner that was a low impact on them. But we could quickly codify and get a sense for what is it that Steve does in his job. And as a manager, can I determine, does that match what I need Steve to do? And that's, that was the beginning of Transition Path. I was forced into it because HP came and took all my people. Well, that's awesome. So transition path, you know, you focused originally in the aerospace industry and, and since then have also moved into the hospitality space as well. What caused you to come into the hospitality space and kind of how do those two industries correlate? So the beginning actually, even before we got into the aviation piece was we, I actually reached out to Harvard 
Dr. Dorothy Leonard. As a small Canadian company, we needed, I was looking for an endorsement from Harvard because I thought it would help us enter into the United States. And what happened was Harvard was working closely with GE and uh, through that, GE acquired Harvard's knowledge transfer business, which Transition Path was bolted onto the front of. And so through that, that engagement, we got access into General Electric and we started doing broad scopes with General, one of our tools with GE globally. And through that, we entered into aviation and nuclear power, which those two industries that have the most significant consequential risk, bad things happen when you lose knowledge in nuclear power plants, as well as aircraft and aviation. And so through those industries, we honed our skills. We really developed tools that function well. And our entry into the hotel industry is both an ability for us to see a tremendous opportunity because of just the sheer number of hotels, but also transition, which is what our job is to transition knowledge, is fundamental to the benefit of those people that work in the hotel industry. Because you know, if you join a hotel, your goal is to eventually get a job working in Hawaii, right? So in order for hotels to keep people, they need to create successful pathways for them. But in order for hotels to be successful, they need to make certain that when they move Steve from that job, that all of a sudden things, bad things happen because we're moving him into a new job, but suffering from a decline in performance just because Steve leaves. That's really the nut of it. Really, if we can get into oil industries, we can really help them. But from a macroeconomic perspective, what we learned in aviation is that, and airports, which we're also involved in, is that when airports don't function well, it has a profound negative impact on the cities that rely on traffic and people traveling to the cities from other parts of the world. Sure. They go hand in hand. Very nice. Very nice. So this is what I'm really excited to talk about. We're going to talk about kind of how Transition Path is helping folks in the hospitality industry. And, you know, one of the main issues in in kind of the hotel space right now is, you know, turnover, labor shortages, things like that. You know, through the broad scope that employees are going through at Transition Path, how does that reduce onboarding time and employment gaps and just kind of make that transition a little easier? Yeah. So a broad scope is an interview process using some technology that's managed by Transition Path and an individual that's a trained analyst from Transition Path. It's a real-time uh, discussion with a visual element where experts articulate what it is that they do, the order in which they do it, as well as the condition of the work that they're responsible for. It's real time, it creates a visual document as well as a very large set of data that's behind it. It represents what you believe to be your role and it allows people to see visually and quite frankly the complexity of the work that they do. And by the way, you don't need to prepare for it. It's real time, deep data. And what we gather often is the most accurate information with respect to that particular job. Got it. So how is that, how are those interviews at Broadscope, how is that reducing the onboarding time and kind of maybe those transitionary periods where one employee leaves and, you know, you're onboarding another another employee? Yeah. So in an example with a hotel, a uh, site engineer, engineers and site engineers are very sought after job because of the professional credentials they have. And every hospital, condominium building that surrounds your hotels also require the same skill. And so with an aging population here in the United States and most, most of Europe, 
what's happening is, is that those seasoned engineers are retiring and we're trying to bring in new ones. And so if in the example, it was a person that had actually been in that hotel for a very long time, 26 years. And so over the, that time period, he understood a lot of the, the details, the design challenges, you know, the folding machines that don't work, the rooms that, you know, that need to be repaired, the cooling tower on the roof. He had all this tacit knowledge that was not well documented, but it was part of what he knows is what allows the hospital or the, the hotel to function every day. And so by codifying that and delivering this document to the hotel manager, now the manager understood, well, what's the implications of this individual moving? And what do I de- need to do now to make certain that I take advantage of the time we have with this individual to transfer that knowledge to the successor? And more and more, I think the difficulties that hotels are facing is that they don't necessarily have an overlap between the successor. And so they have a gap. It's so all of a sudden we see managers are being dragged into engineering work. That's not what we pay managers to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw during the during COVID, I mean, GMs were cleaning rooms for housekeepers and things like that just because there was such a shortage of housekeepers. So it, it, this is really cool. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And so, and so what we do now is that we'll give that broad scope to the successor. And so now we're being clear about what is it that we want that person to do the order and the sequence of work that needs to be done. And even we have a process called the 100-day plan, which is linked into the broad scope that says these are the things that are going to be the most important work to be done in the first 100 days. One aspect in hotels that's the most difficult is the seasonal changes. We go from winter to, to fall. That's when we are having to essentially strike out systems that haven't been working for a number of months and that's often where we realize that some of the maintenance hasn't been done properly over the years, or you know, a lot of hotels are struggling financially to come up with the capital necessary. So they're very careful about where they spend their capital. And so these broad scopes and the details in them help to justify where it's important for us to do this types of maintenance work. And when you lose those people that understand that, that sequence and cadence of work, you end up running into situations where you have equipment reliability problems. So as a former GM of a couple of hotels in New York City, I always felt the most pain when I lost a manager. So line empl- everyone was important to me, but if I lost a manager, that was difficult because then I had to pick up their duties. So my question is, is there, what, do you, what are you looking at that really helps track a manager's effectiveness and helps with that transition and maybe some of the retention pieces of it too? Fantastic question. So, so the, the thing that we know is that when we look at uh, hotel managers, we already know the ones that are particularly qualified because we can look at the results of their hotels. So when we do a broad scope on a manager who's running a very successful hotel, there's patterns that we can see that we get, we gather those patterns in the broad scope. And so we can help the brand understand what is it that we want in an ideal manager? And what aspects that we want to see that we want to replicate. And we can also identify those patterns to share those with those managers that are immediate and below. And improving the average is where the money is. By the way, it's not, it's not in getting rid of someone who's a low performer. It's showing that person a way to improve. And if we can benchmark that on the high performers, which we already know, which we can see those patterns in broad scope. So that would be the something really important. The other piece is that we often will do a broad scope on all of the direct reports of a manager, 
so that a manager can, his first meeting could be, let's say, Dave, you know, I was the manager. I would look at your broad scope. The first thing I would say is, hey, David, I've had a chance to look at your broad scope. Reminds me of the important work that you do. And it's really, I'm really glad that, that you're with us. And uh, I have a much more detailed appreciation for the important work that you do. When we teach managers on how to use a broad scope, it helps us drive engagement, engaged employees, when we can vouch validate them and validate their their opinions, they want to stay with us. We can demonstrate that we're good leaders. And if we can do that effectively, that helps us reduce the unwanted turnover that just happens when we're perhaps not as careful in managing our people that we should be. So this one might be from left field, but do you look at any correlation from guest data or guest surveys tied into the employee? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we do through the broad scope, it's unvarnished. So so people are not asked to prepare in advance for lots of different reasons. But what we found is, is that when we get the unvarnished, that's the truth. What we don't want is, well, what is it that David wants me to say? Because that doesn't really help us, right? So so our independence of our processes, they don't really know who Transition Path is other than we're introduced as a subject matter expert. But through that relationship we have with your employee, we get at the unvarnished. We really want to say this is what that individual believes to be their role. And so that's really the starting point. And so some aspects of what we want to use to measure the performance, they could be our missions and values or other metrics within what we believe to be good metrics that result in a high performance ratios with respect to guest experience. What we often find is, is that those elements of the guest experience that we want to improve they don't come out in the broad scope themselves. And so broad scope helps us remind our employees of the importance of these attributes. And we actually encourage them to go back and think about their role to introduce those elements that we know will drive improved performance and, and improved guest experience. So it's, it's getting at where you are today. Whether you like it or not, that's where you are. And if you're not seeing those attributes that we know improve guest experience, now's the opportunity to inject them. And are these broad scopes only for managers, GMs, or any type of management, or is it for everybody in the hotel? Well, obviously for us, we want them for everybody. Um, often what we won't invest in people that are in roles perhaps that, that aren't managers. And we think that there's an opportunity to really invest. Like we did some uh, recent ones at a hotel where my, we were doing broad scopes on the entire front staff. Didn't matter what their role was. And it was amazing what we found with Bellhops. It was amazing what we found with the light accounting clerk. And, and because they, they know how to do their job, what we're looking for are the patterns that we know produce better outcomes. And so, you know, there's three things that people say when they go through a broad scope. Number one is I'm proud of what I do. Number two is I probably couldn't have done it on my own. And number three is I wish someone gave me this when I started. And that's really about, you asked David earlier a question about productivity and pe getting people in successful swim lanes. Well, when we're really clear about what success looks like, that actually is a direct driver of retention because people can see how they can get into the successful swim lane, you know, earn a fair wage, see opportunities for development, get training, and see a career. And it often happens when we're really clear about what is it we want people to do to be successful in their job. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's, you know, Having run hotels and trying to build cultures, you know, the reason why I asked about the surveys was because, you know, a lot of times you have front of the house workers and their managers never see how they're interacting with the guest or how they really are. 
So if you're a, an assistant front office manager, you're behind that wall. And that those front desk agents are dealing with the guests, the bellhops dealing with the guests. And so I had worked on a, a project for a uh, student retention company. They were, they work with universities and they wanted to get into hospitality. And that's where I was saying, can we start to look at surveys? Can we take the property management system data and say, okay, this guest said their room wasn't clean on their survey. Let's find out who cleaned that room and start seeing what are the problems as there's consistency that, you know, this housekeeper always, you know, is negative. And they were looking at even elements from outside of the hotel, how far their commute was, things of that nature. So it's, 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 it's very impactful and it's, it's very timely for the industry because it really needs it. Yeah. And, and it's uh, the other thing I would say, I would just add to that. Cause I hear you, I'm nodding because you're actually giving me, me some ideas there, David, around, even around some of our discussions with our, our, cl- our uh, clients, but there's an, also an element that the broad scope is designed to be applied globally. We have, and we can see patterns in foreign countries, in China as an example, or uh, other parts of Europe, where we're, we can see similar patterns, but there is local knowledge. And so we have to always be careful that we don't want to just apply a standard, let's say, that we think works in the U.S., uh, but doesn't really work in Europe. And so the, the broad scopes gathered the, the knowledge and information and insights related to that particular physical location. And that's really the most important part because we want to be able to adopt global standards, but also realize that there are local patterns, local traditions that, that may not necessarily always apply. So we, we have to coexist in those two. Otherwise, we'll look like we're trying to apply methods that are just foreign to those, those hotels in other countries. We do know, for example, that we've done broad scopes in Dubai for hotels, for American branded hotels. And we can compare those, especially with when we're looking at high performers in the U.S., in Dubai and looking for the patterns. And some of those patterns, by the way, they, there's definitely opportunities to, to cross-pollinate those types of uh, approaches to improving guest experience. And kind of through this, you're, you almost said it, like you're seeing the best practices of what hoteliers are doing. So it's almost like those people that are running those broad scopes, you're comparing it to best practices of some of the best hotels in the world. So, you know, it's almost like you're a consulting company, like just using those best practices almost. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. We're obviously, we're very, very conscientious of, of the, the power of the information and confidentiality of it. You know, I would say most of the real ultimate benefit that we bring to our clients is that they get to see this unvarnished information. <clears throat> I always sort of used to tease some of our clients where, you know, the CEO walks out of his office, walks down the hall and stops at an employee and says, you know, asks the employee a question. And I always tease these CEOs. I'll say to her, you know, what do you think that that person is thinking in their mind when the CEO stops and asks them a question? The number one thing is that what does he or she want me to say? And how fast can I say it to make them go away? Right? So, so what we're after is really that unvarnished. Where are you today? Because if you don't know where you are, it's really difficult to figure out where you want to be. We're all good at saying, well, we want to be here, but we don't know where we are. The change agenda, it just introduces profound what we call executional risk. And so that's something that's uh, that we really want to focus on. Do you know where you are today? And if you do, what's the sequence you want to make changes to get to that ideal future state? Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is all really exciting stuff, but kind of what is next for transition path and, and what's, what's, what's ahead here? 
Yeah, it's, we have a lot of interesting things uh, happening. And, and uh, for the most part, what we're really focusing on is to develop or a scalable solution that can benefit the entire hotel industry. We're there now. We're very, very confident we've been able to do it. That also introduces a cost structure that hotels can afford. You know, while it says, you know, we're seeing some remarkable numbers, the aircraft there's yesterday and two days ago, Boeing and, and Airbus and Rolls-Royce and GE Aviation had some profound commitments to buying more aircraft, which we know more air- aircraft means more hotels, right? So that simple, it's direct correlation. So, but at the same time, when you're, when those industries are making large forward purchases, they need to be able to control costs. And so that's an element for us. We want to make certain we deliver real value to hotels and we want to have a cost declining solution that ensures that every broad scope that we do delivers real value to the hotel. And so we're there from that perspective. I see in the future, obviously artificial intelligence is really important. So that's, we're tying directly into that because we, we gather massive amounts of data through that data. Now we need to feed that into artificial intelligence engines that are beyond just the propensity for someone to book your hotel. It's really about the underlying how do hotels work. And so the more data we gather there, the more we can aim our attention on cost reductions, guest safety, lots of different attributes that, that are going to be more important. The other thing I'll just mention to you is that we will continue to see a future of higher turnover in hotels. It's certain of that. So our underlying goal is how do we uh, help hotels function better in a future that will have higher turnover? Now, do you feel, you know, in my head, I'm thinking of people that you should be talking to, but are there any types of hotels that you think you work better with, or is there kind of a category that makes more sense or is it is it much broader it's pretty broad you know when we when i founded the company my core was i had four tests the first is is what we do can is it demonstratively better than anything out there another second one was is it profitable you want to be profitable third is is the potential large enough so by that what i mean to answer your question is what we deliver has to apply to any hotel anywhere in the world, and it does. And then the last, by the way, is can we attract industry individuals to come and work with us? And so often, people that come to work for us are actually retired executives, retired people from the hotel industry, because they understand, just like you said earlier, David, you know, you've run hotels and you know exactly what happens when we lose that person, where's the data? Where is the information that helps me be confident that the successor can come on board, get into the role, be, be in that successful swim lane to prevent that manager from being drawn into things that are not directly related to guest experience or you know, employment matters of those sense of the day. So the idea is that to answer your question, ha- whatever we do generally has to apply. If it's, you know, just picking Marriott Hotels, but if, if Marriott Hotel wants Broadscope, they want to be able to know that the Broadscope that we do in Dubai is the same that we do in, in Austin, Texas, yet the content is different and I can understand why it's different. Well, this has been great. That was the last question from our end. Our producer, John, has been listening in this whole time. So I'm going to kick it over to John here for, for one final question. You mentioned that like transition is going to continue to 
or our turnover is going to continue continue to decrease, increase. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But is there any evidence, and sorry if you've already answered this question, but is there any evidence to support that what you guys do helps retention? Yeah. By the way, thanks. It's a great question. So th- this is just some anecdotal things that we learn. But for new people that come into a role, they have three tests. So the first test is, does my manager care about me? And the second test is, does my manager demonstrate excellence? And the third is, does this job serve me? So if you can't, if you fail any one of those, there are so many opportunities in the labor market today that we'll give younger employees the, the need or the interest to actually pursue a job elsewhere. So when we can look at a broad scope and say, this is the job that we have, and it is something that we can attract people to come in and uh, we can define, describe, characterize the job so that it attracts talent because we have a very clear understanding of what the job is. You know, we're not running situations where attracting jobs, people come and they find that that's not really not the job that they wanted because uh, they'll just pivot. So, so yes, the answer is, is that when we align those three with a manager who looks at a broad scope, we're much more likely to attract the better talent, retain them, and also introduce a consistent way in which we manage performance through people. Yeah, because that shows that you're investing in that person, like that new person. There's an immediate investment that they see and they feel. Yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely. And if we can re- acknowledge them for what they believe to be issues, you know, with, you, we, there's a lot of technical aspects of this, but I'll tell you one aspect, which is we have this flagging methodology, which helps an individual in the role assign a flag to bring attention to specific aspects of their role. One of those flags is yellow, which is a caution. It's something that the individual believes to be something the manager should be aware of. But there's a blue flag, which is an opportunity to for them to identify different ways in which they can do work. And in fact, included in that is the opportunity to discontinue work. If you want to drive a productivity improvement across your staff, the easiest way to drive a productivity improvement is to stop doing work, especially if that work isn't aligned to guest satisfaction. So when you look at those things, we can derive some significant improvements in the availability of time. So now we can reattribute time for things that are perhaps more aligned to those things that we want to do. And sometimes these things that we want to do in hotels is not just around our you know, th- mission values. It's actually, I have a urgent, immediate issue that's affecting my hotel that I need to reassign resources to that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to hire someone. It's an important step of our process to go about doing that. Well, that does it for another episode of The Modern Hotelier. This is the part, Brian, where we'd like you to let us know how can people get in touch with you, get in touch with Transition Path. This is your time to plug away. So the best way is through our website, which is transition-path.com, or you can reach out to me by way of email. I'm not sure if that'll be added uh, later. And we have a whole team that's that's, uh, prepared to get involved. We do pilot programs, by the way, and it's the best way for us to, for hotels to try our solutions at a low cost. We provide subsidies, by the way, because the best way to take advantage of Transition Path is to actually see the data from your own people. And so if we reduce the cost, make it fully turnkey, typically we do engagements that start in three or four days, depending upon the year of the decline. Well. Again, that does it for another episode of The Modern Hotelier. We look forward to being with you again soon. Thanks, Brian. This episode is sponsored by Transition Path. Want to strengthen your great place to work rating for new employees? 
Want to overcome a challenge with engineers or key staff members moving during retirement, attrition, or internal moves? TransitionPath offers solutions to capture expertise seamlessly, along with site-specific know-how. TransitionPath tools create visual maps of crucial details and codify knowledge for ease of prioritization and transfer. Proactively prevent issues and ensure guest satisfaction, safety, and uninterrupted operations. Partner with TransitionPath for seamless knowledge transfer. TransitionPath, your solution for sustainable performance and excellence during periods of change. You made it to the end of The Modern Hotelier. Thanks for listening. The Modern Hotelier is produced by Make More Media. Make sure to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube or follow wherever you get your podcasts. If you know of a guest or sponsor that would be a good fit, feel free to email us at hello at themodernhotelier.com. Thanks and have a great day.